Turn in the Word of God to the New Testament book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. You'll find that on page 1,156, and I'll read the first 11 verses. This uh, gives a summary of what our Lord Jesus taught His disciples in the 40 days between His resurrection and His ascension into glory. And then it tells us the story of Christ going up into heaven. Acts 1 verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Well, let's sing together hymn number 373 as our hymn of preparation 373 and we'll sing that standing see the conqueror mounts in triumph see the king in royal state 373 
We'll turn this evening in the Word of God to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, you'll find that on page 582 in your pew Bibles. This is a psalm that throughout the history of the church has often been connected with the ascension of our Lord Jesus, and you'll see why that is in just a while. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob." Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. I think it's fair to say that when we think of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven, we generally take a bottom-up perspective to it. That is, we take the perspective of the apostles who are on earth and watch the Lord Jesus Christ go up into heaven. You see that there in the passage that we read from the book of Acts, that while they were gazing into heaven as he went, and then the two men in white robes said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And so we look at, or we stand with the apostles, and we look up and see the Lord Jesus depart from this world and enter into heaven. So we take a bottom-up approach. But that's not the only perspective with which to think of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is also possible to take a top-down approach. And in this approach, it's not that we see Jesus going into heaven. We rather see him coming into heaven. And that's not absent from the passage that we read in Acts 1. For instance, it says there that while they were gazing at Jesus going up into heaven, the two men said, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. And so the action begins in heaven and Jesus is going up there. You see this also in Peter's speech in Acts 3 verse 21 where it talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ must be received in heaven. Again, the perspective is from heaven and Jesus Christ being received there. Or think about the profession of faith that Paul includes in his letter 
to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, as he gives a biography of the Lord Jesus, Jesus was manifested in the flesh, speaking of his incarnation, vindicated by the Spirit, speaking of his resurrection, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So the point is that it's possible to look at the ascension of our Lord Jesus as him going into heaven, the bottom-up approach. But it is also possible to look at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ from the top down and see him entering heaven. The emphasis then is not on his going into heaven, but his coming into heaven. It's not so much on his departing from earth as his arrival in heaven. It is about the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ into heavenly glory. And that's the perspective that we're given this evening in Psalm 24. There we have this wonderful description, this joyous celebration that highlights the entrance of our Lord Jesus Christ into the glory of heaven. The psalm begins with a declaration of the sovereign majesty of God and his ownership of all. The earth is the Lord's, it says, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So God is the sovereign owner of all things. All the millions of galaxies and stars that you see around us and do not see, and the billions of microorganisms that make up this world, they are all belonging to the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every beast in the forest is his. He's the one who made heaven and earth and who doesn't need to be served by anyone as if he needed anything since he's the one who gives life and breath to all. He's the sovereign owner of all things. All the stuff in the world belongs to him and all the peoples in the world belong to him as well. So the millions and billions of this world's inhabitants belong to God. They are His. The pagan Muslims and the Buddhists and the Hindus, along with the Christians and the atheists, all humanity belongs to God. He is their rightful owner. He holds the title deed to all things. And the reason He holds the title deed to all things, the psalm tells us, is because He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He is the great creator of all. By his word, he has spoken all things into existence. And because he is the creator, all things belong to him. So that you, children, if you were to buy some wood and screws or nails, and you were to make something from what you have made or from what you have purchased, you would have ownership of that thing because you made it yourself. And so God has ownership over all creation, all things in it, and all peoples on it because by his power he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. 
But there's one more thing that you need to understand about these opening verses in order to make sense of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and Psalm 24 in particular. And that is that though God is the creator and owner of all, there has been this massive insurgency and rebellion against his rightful claims. I'm talking, of course, about what happened in heaven when one of his created angels resisted his authority and in pride rebelled against God. I'm talking about Satan's rebellion along with the other angels who joined with him. And that rebellion in heaven was taken down to earth where Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to throw off the claims of God upon them, to resist and to reject his authority, and to do their own thing and go their own way without any consideration of God whatsoever. And the world has followed this example. It's all good for us to claim that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. But it certainly doesn't look like that is the case. And so much of this world lives in rebellion against God, wanting nothing to do with his authority, relegating him, if at, any, if at anything, to the borders and margins of society. They reject his laws. They live for their own glory rather than his. And if they had their wish, they would put God to death. That's the height of human rebellion against the sovereign majesty and ownership of God. But God's not going to allow this to continue. He's not going to allow this rejection to go unaddressed. No, God is going to reclaim creation for himself. This is what he did in the conquest, for instance, of Canaan. Canaan had been ruled and lived in by the Canaanites and had been devoted to the worship of false gods, And God sent Israel into Canaan to reclaim it for his own glory, to extirpate, to remove all false worship, and to establish his own church and kingdom in Canaan. And what God did in the conquest of Canaan, God is going to do throughout the whole universe. This universe will one day bring glory and honor to God. The whole earth will be covered with the the knowledge of the glory of God as, as the waters cover the sea. And this world will one day render all of its gifts to the praise and worship of God, and humanity will all bow in submission to God. Some, of course, because of coercion by the might of his power, but many will worship in glad submission to the King, the Creator, and Redeemer of all. God is going to reclaim this universe, and he's going to do it through the descent of his only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as the rebellion occurred through the disobedience of one man, Adam, he who was set by God to have dominion over the whole creation under the sovereign authority of God, just as this world went into chaos because of the sin of one man, at the instigation of the devil, the arch enemy of God, the hater of all that is good and godly, 
Just as sin entered this world through the disobedience of one man at the instigation of the devil, so the restoration of this world is going to occur through the obedience of one man and the defeat of the devil. The first Adam brought chaos as he aligned himself with Satan. The second Adam will bring blessing as he crushes the head of the serpent and offers the totality of the world as an offering of thanksgiving and praise to his great God and Father. And that's what Psalm 24 is all about. The Lord Jesus has descended to accomplish his Father's purposes, and now the Lord Jesus ascends back to glory. So let's first look at how this reclamation of the universe is going to happen through the obedience of the one man. This is what we read about in the second stanza in Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Now, the backdrop to those verses is, of course, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was God's holy place. It's called in Ezekiel the Garden of God. That's where the Lord dwelt, and He had fellowship with Adam and Eve as He communed with them in the cool of the day. And that fellowship was sweet until the time when Adam's hands and heart were sullied by sin. With his heart, he listened to the lies of the devil. With his hands, he reached for the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden him to eat of. It was Adam who lifted up his soul to what is false and who swore allegiance to the enemy of God. And when that disobedience occurred in the garden, then fellowship with God was broken. That communion with God was gone. Adam and Eve no longer would run to God when they heard him coming in the cool of the day. But as we see in Genesis 3, they ran from God and in shame hid themselves. And it wasn't just that they had problems with God so that they hid themselves. God had problems with them and he removed them. He drove them out of the garden, out of his holy place. And he barred the way back with the cherubim, with the flaming sword. Fellowship between God and humanity had been broken by sin, so that now no one can come into the presence of God without expecting the judgment of a holy God against sin. But remember, Christ has come to undo the damage that Adam had done. And so I invite you to stand with me at the top of the hill of the Lord, to stand with me in the holy place of God, and to look and to ask the question, is there anyone who dares ascend God's holy hill? Is there anyone who dares approach the holiness of God? Is there anyone who can come into his presence 
without being consumed because of sin. And as you look, you do see someone ascending the hill of the Lord. You see someone approaching the holiness of God. And what do you see about him? Well, you see that he has clean hands and a pure heart. He does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. You see someone whose food and drink it was to do the will of his Father in heaven. You see someone whose will was always to do his Father's will, who swerved neither to the right nor to the left, but always did what he had promised his Father he would do. You see someone who agreed to go into this world and to pay the penalty for sin, And when the crunch came in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not swear falsely, promise to do one thing and then do another. No, he went through with it. He went all the way to the cross, though it brought much harm to himself. This was a a man who did not worship other gods, but whose sole concern and all-consuming passion was that God his Father would be glorified. This is a man who offered his hands to be crucified on the cross in obedience to his Father's will. This is the man whose heart was so purely devoted to the Lord and was pierced on the cruel cross of Golgotha. Who is this man, you ask? He is the King of glory. He is Jesus Christ. And you can see him approach the majesty of God. You can see him ascend the hill of the Lord, entering into the presence of this holy God without any fear whatsoever because he had done all that he had promised to do. He had completed the mission that his Father had given to him. And when he enters into the presence of God, heaven opens and receives the Lord Jesus Christ. And the voices ring in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. And the praises of the angels are are heaped on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father is absolutely delighted that the Son has carried out his mission and says to his Son, come, my Son, You have done all that I've asked you to do. Come, sit at my right hand in majesty and glory. Well done, my good and faithful son. So that the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ is the ascension of a holy man who ascends the hill of the Lord and who stands in the holy place. And because he is so undivided in his devotion to his God, Verse 5, he receives blessing from the Lord and righteousness or vindication from the God of his salvation. Our Lord Jesus receives the praises of his Father. Remember, while Jesus was on earth, the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, that was before he completed the mission. So you can well imagine the exuberance and joy, the commendations, the affirmations that the Father sends upon His Son when He doesn't just agree to the mission and begin the mission, but when He completes it and He ascends into the very presence of His God. Heaven rings with the shouts of joy and triumph 
because there is one man, the man Christ Jesus, who has ascended the hill of the Lord and is standing in his holy place because of a perfect life of obedience. And so the disobedience of the one man, Adam, brought such travesty and devastation and destruction. The obedience of the one man will bring blessing and joy inexpressible. But remember, it's not just obedience that is required. It's true that Adam disobeyed, but Adam disobeyed because he gave in to the schemes of Satan. So Adam fell for the ploys of the evil one and was defeated. Now the question is, what will the second Adam do? Will he too succumb to the temptations of the devil? Or will he defeat him, crush his head, destroy him, so that he can no longer wreak havoc in God's creation? And the answer to that question is an unreserved yes. That's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ is going to do. In fact, that's one of the reasons Christ descended from heaven to earth. It was to defeat Satan, the devil, the wicked one, the accuser of the brothers. And you can see this throughout the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that Jesus encountered after his um, anointing, his baptism and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is that the Spirit threw him into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. And we read in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that our Lord Jesus did not succumb to the temptation, though he was in a far worse situation than Adam was. Adam was in a garden of plenty, having eaten. Jesus was in the wilderness, having fasted for 40 days. But the second Adam did not give in to the schemes of the evil one. He was victorious there. And you can see this throughout his ministry. You can see that he delivers people from demon possession. He heals the sick. He makes the blind to see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Even the dead are raised. You know, death as, as the one great marker of Satan's victory. The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, even death meets its defeat in Jesus Christ. Because as the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And it wasn't just the ministry of the life of the Lord Jesus that brought such defeat to our enemy. It was particularly his death, that is, Christ's death, that brought such victory. Because Satan's real power over humanity, and therefore his power as the ruler of this age, resides in his ability to use sin against us. So sin is the power that Satan uses to hold us in his kingdom. And if someone could come to deal with our sin, to take away our sin, to 
receive the punishment, to satisfy the justice of God, to make the atonement sacrifice for sin. If someone could do that, then Satan will just crumble and his power will dissipate. Remember the Lord Jesus said in John 12, speaking about his death, he says, now uh, the prince of this world shall be driven out. The cross is the great victory of Jesus over Satan. It's in the cross that he triumphs over the evil one. As uh, Thomas Goodwin says, with the cross beam of the cross, the Lord Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. He was victorious. And now, Stand with me on the walls of the city of God. And you can hear the victor coming. You can hear the sound of the armies of heaven following him. And you can hear the voice cry out, Lift up your heads, O gates. And the people on the walls of Zion, the angels, the courtiers, they say, Why should we lift up our heads? Well, it's because it needs to be opened so that the King of glory may come in. Well, well, who is this King of glory? Well, don't you know who this King of glory is? He's the Lord. He's the one who is strong and mighty. He's the one who is mighty in battle. He's the one who has conquered our enemies, who has destroyed our enemy, who has defeated Satan, the accuser of the brothers. Christ has won the victory and now is coming into his heavenly kingdom. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. He is the King of glory. And so heaven resounds with the joyful shouts of victory. Because Christ has completed His work. He has defeated the enemy. He has won against our foe. And now He ascends to the right hand, having accomplished the ministry that the Father has given to Him. The commander of the armies of the Lord has been victorious. He has defeated our foe. And so... Christ ascends. You see, He ascends because He can, having fully obeyed the will of His Father. He's the only one with clean hands, pure heart, and He ascends because He has conquered the enemy. He doesn't ask for the gates to be opened because He's a vanquished enemy looking to receive safety from the enemy but he enters as the victor to receive the praise and accolades of heaven. The king of glory has come in. And so we say with with the hymn writer, all his work is ended. Joyfully we sing, Jesus hath ascended glory to our King.
And the reason we're joyful is, of course, we're delighted that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who has become man, is receiving the glory, the honor, the praise that he is worthy of. On earth he was disdained and ridiculed and mocked and scorned and treated as if he were no one. But now he has given his rightful honor. He's been given the name that is above every name as the Lord, the Christ, the anointed, the victor over his enemies. So we joyfully sing because Christ is receiving the glory on his ascension day. But we also joyfully sing because Christ's ascension means our ascension. You might uh, ask yourself this question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And you see the qualifications, clean hands, pure heart. He does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And you think, well, that counts me out. There's no way I could enter into the presence of God. Even my best efforts leave my hands stained. Even my most determined Faithfulness is marred by a divided heart. Even my worship of God is ruined by my worship of God's. And I do not swear faithfully all the time, but sometimes do what I promise I will not do. So there's no way that I could ever receive blessing from the Lord and vindication or righteousness from the God of his salvation. I could never ascend the hill of the Lord on my own. But Christ ascends, and therefore I can ascend too. As the hymn writer says, soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head, Made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Our humanity is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And because Christ is there, we shall be there too. That's what the psalm says in verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. You seek the Lord, and you cling like Jacob to the Lord Jesus and refuse to let him go until his blessing becomes yours. And then whenever he, wherever he goes, you go as well. He is accepted into heaven, and so shall you be. His obedience means that I can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in God's holy place without fear of condemnation and destruction. But it's not just that I share in Christ's obedience. I also share in Christ's victory. Christ won the victory as the anointed king, and all of his subjects join in that victory. Just think of when, when David destroyed Goliath. It wasn't just David's victory. It was Israel's victory. And when Christ destroys our enemy, Satan, then we destroy them, him 
as well. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 16, verse 20, soon Satan will be crushed under our feet. Well, that's the promise spoken about the Messiah in Genesis 3, that that the Messiah will crush Satan under his feet. Well, the Messiah's subjects, all those who belong to Jesus Christ, shall be the recipients of this blessing too. Under our feet, Satan's head will be crushed. And so if heaven's gates are open to receive the King of glory, then they stay open long enough so that the armies of the Lamb who follow the Lamb wherever He goes can enter glory as well. Because Christ, the victor, is there, we can be there as well. It was Thomas Goodwin who said, In God's sight, there are only two men in this world. There's the first man, Adam, and there's the second man, Jesus Christ. There's not a third man, and there's not a one in between the first and the last Adam. There's only two men, Adam and Christ. And he says, these two men have all other men hanging on their belts. So what Goodwin is saying, it all depends who you're attached to. By nature, we're all attached to Adam, the first Adam, and so we bear the judgment of the first Adam. But by grace, we're attached to the second Adam. And hanging on to Jesus Christ by faith, trusting in Him as our mighty victor and as our obedient King, wherever He goes, we go as well. And that's what makes the day of ascension such a glad and joyful day. Of course, it's glad and joyful for the Lord Jesus when He finished His work after His resurrection and entered into glory. But it's a glad day for all those who know and love the Lord Jesus too because it's the assurance we can have that where our Lord Jesus now is, we shall be as well. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we thank you that you did not leave this world in the ruin of sin and rebellion of Satan and of our first Adam, but that our Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, came to the rescue, and he has done what Adam failed to do in obeying you And he has destroyed our enemy, which Adam did not do. And so we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, and in union with him, we are glad because we know that after this life, we shall enter into glory. We thank you that our Lord Jesus is the conquering king, that he's not some wimp who was defeated by the enemy but that he is the mighty, conquering Lord, the one who's strong in battle, the one who has defeated all his foes. We pray that as we live our lives day by day, we would live in that kind of confidence. We look at the world around us and can often become discouraged at the darkness and the futility of the human mind. But our Lord Jesus Christ is exalted at your right hand. 
and he rules over all the nations from there, and everything shall be okay. Remind us of that and give us the confidence to joyfully live until that day comes when we see Christ in all of his magnificent glory and when we enter heaven to praise and worship you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let us uh, sing that song.